0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. Good morning, Candeo family. As always, it's it's great to be with you all. If I've not met you before or you're you're new to town, my name's Cody Klein, and I'll be the one that'll be walking you through uh, God's Word this morning. Uh, this is one of our values as a church, is that uh, we stand in awe of God's Word. So what Anna said there is, is true. We're continuing in worship, and you're like, well, I we're not singing anymore. Um, We're going to worship now by opening God's Word and continue to let Him speak and shape us. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to join me in Luke 14, and uh, we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, But I want to put a phrase in your mind, and I want to make sure that we understand each other. Uh, When I use the phrase uh, package deal, you understand the concept, right? Like, when my wife married me, she understood that she was getting a a package deal. And don't don't get confused. I'm not saying that I am the whole package, There's a difference in those things, right? Like I'm not that, she's that, uh, I got that in her, all right? So, uh, but when my wife married me, she understood she was getting a package deal. She understood that pictures like this were going to be in our future. Okay, so this picture was actually taken exactly a month ago. Uh, We went down to Kansas City to catch a Red Sox game, and my wife understood that when we got married, this was just going to be part of it. Like, she didn't grow up loving baseball. It's not a passion for her. And as I've, like, sat in your spot a few times and listened to Jake bash baseball, and I'm just going to stand up for it a little bit. I don't get that. I love the game of baseball. And for some, they're like, it just moves too slow. I'm like, that is perfect for the pace of my mind, okay? But I, I, love, I love baseball. In fact, our, our oldest son, uh, not that we've made like baseball an idol or anything like that. We just really love the name. But our oldest son, Jacoby, we actually got his name from one of my favorite Red Sox baseball players who ever played, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. In fact, you'll see in this picture... I got a Jacoby Ellsbury fan in here. Let's go. All right. I'm surprised. You're probably like, like one of two people in here that know who he is, and you and I are the two of them. All right. So, um, but if you, you see this next picture, I, I love this picture. Just such a cool, this shot of my boys enjoying the game together. Uh, they got their, their, their stuff on, uh, just enjoying a night of, of baseball. Right? My, my wife understood, like, when we got married, it was a package deal right? The, the drink comes with the, the combo. Um, and I want to I put that in your mind because today as we hit the third mark of our like discipleship series here, the third mark of a Christian. And just to recap, if you've not been here the last few weeks, the three marks that we've covered so far is like the marks of a Christian are one, that you know Jesus, that you know who he is and what he's done for you. Second thing is that you love Jesus, that you love him and you love what he loves. That's the second mark of a Christian. And today we're talking about the third mark of a Christian that you follow him, that you follow where he leads. I do believe that repetition is the key to all learning. So come on with me. All right, what are the three words again? First one is no, second one is love, third one is follow. And what I want you to understand is that these three marks are a package deal, which is really, really important for us because we live in America where I'm pretty sure a majority of the people, if you walk down the street and ask them these three questions, they would answer them this way, that you would ask, hey, do you know Jesus? I think many would say, yes. Do you love Jesus? Many people, again, would say, yes. Then you ask them, well, do you follow Jesus? And many would go, uh... Kinda. And, and God knew that, that we would try to a la carte these things. It's not supposed to be that way. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so God wanted to be abundantly clear to us. That's why in 1 John 2, it says this, the one who says, I have come to know him and yet does not keep his commands, does not follow him, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in him, in Christ. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. These things are a package deal. You can't claim to know Jesus and to love what Jesus loves and not follow him. In the same way, you can't claim to follow Jesus and not know him or love him and love what Jesus loves. These three things are a package deal, it's all or nothing with Jesus. These three things have been married together, they cannot be divorced. And so if you claim to be a Christian, these three marks should be marks of your life and in increasing measure. The question in the past few weeks has been, do they mark your life? So today, we're gonna talk about the third mark, following Jesus. We follow G- where Jesus leads. About 75 years ago, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer penned these words. A famous pastor, a German theologian who actually died in a Nazi prison camp. He wrote these words to summarize what it means to follow Jesus. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's that's like a famous quote, maybe many of you have heard of it before. And I I had that quote in my mind and I actually just went through scriptures and just focused in on all the times that Jesus ever talked about following him and what that meant or defined it. Like, Like if he called somebody to follow him or he defined what it meant or something, anything that had to do with following Jesus, what did Jesus have to say? I found 19 different incidences where Jesus calls somebody to follow him or defines what following him means. And in every one of those incidences, every time he talks about following him and what that means, every time following was accompanied by death. Here's what I mean. Uh, It's Peter and Andrew, James and John who were fishing. And when Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What Luke five records is that they brought their boats ashore, left everything and followed him, right? See, the death isn't always a physical death. It just means like a death to the previous way of life. But that was true for James and John. It was true for Matthew, the tax collector. When Jesus looked at him and said, follow me, Again, Luke 5 records that he left everything and followed him. The rich young ruler who came before Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's this great interaction that they have that was very revealing for him. And Jesus says this at the close of it. He says, Go sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Every time, following is accompanied by death. It's in Luke 9 that Jesus says this. There's this crowd of people following him, and he says this. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and his holy angels. And then just a few verses later, this happens. Verse 57 of Luke 9. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he said... To another, follow me, Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go and say goodbye to those in my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's just a sample of the 19 incidences where Jesus defines for us what it means to follow him. And I I know that's a lot of Bible before we even jump into our text this morning. I just want you to understand that I'm not like cherry picking this one passage of scripture where Jesus gives some like tough talk, right? That like, this is like the one moment where you catch Jesus on like, like a bad day or something like that. You must understand that every time Jesus talks about what it means to follow him, the essence of his answer is the exact same. It's what Bonhoeffer said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so, setting the stage that way, let's get into Luke 14, 25. Again, there are crowds of people walking to Jesus. And he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This passage, as we walk through it, will reveal for us three requirements, three essential reorientations that must take place if we want to follow Jesus. This is gonna be reorientation number one, that following Jesus requires us to reorient him and make him more important than everyone else, Jesus above everything else. The word that catches your attention, I'm sure, as you read those verses, and it's meant to. Jesus used this word very purposely, is that word hate, right? And we know that that word is antithetical to all of Jesus's teachings, right? Like Jesus constantly tells us, like anybody made in the image of God, we can't hate them, right? So, so what is he saying here? Like, is he totally uh, contradicting himself and everything else he's ever said? Here, here's what he's trying to do. Understand, just two chapters before this, he sets the stage for what he says here by warning those following him. He says, hey, uh, you got to know this about me. I, I didn't come to bring peace. I actually came to bring division. And what he warns of, he says, division will take place in households, fathers against sons, mothers against daughters, all on account of me, there will be division." All because of my name. I'll pause for a moment. This isn't like the common experience in America, but has anybody ever experienced that? Or because you heard the invitation of Jesus, you recognize your own sinfulness and the broken relationship between you and the Father, and ran to the cross for the covering of Christ and his grace to be poured on your life. And by faith, you received new life in him and then went home, shared that with your parents and they weren't thrilled or a sibling and they weren't thrilled. Anybody ever had that experience before? And in that moment then, where all of a sudden you were put in a spot where you had to pick sides You were forced into a corner where you had to pick sides. Is it gonna be Jesus or my family? In whatever shape, whether it's parents or siblings, whenever you got put into that spot, when you decided to pick Jesus, how did they receive that? Wasn't it like hate? That somehow now you must hate them because you've chosen Jesus. And see, we can hear a passage like this, we can, we can read a passage like this and maybe sometimes like read it too much through like a Western lens. And, and for us, if we are to take Jesus seriously, like if all of a sudden you decide to take Jesus seriously and your friends and your family label you as a freak, like the worst thing you'll ever experience is you're just gonna have really awkward family gatherings, okay? Understand what this meant in this time for the original audience. Like if somebody there took Jesus seriously and decided to follow him, what it meant was having to turn away from their family, their family's religion, their culture. I mean, everybody in their town, everything they'd ever grown up knowing, likely even like their occupation and like what they were inheriting from their family, the safety, the security of a household, a name, an occupation, all of that. They had to turn away from all of that to follow Jesus. And for them, Anybody looking at it, it would look like, wow, you must hate your parents to bring that much shame on them. I think of all the things that Jesus says today, this was probably for them the hardest requirement. If you wanna follow after me, you have to hate. And he's not meaning that in an absolute term, like hate them. He's just saying like comparatively, Comparatively, like your love for me must be so great that it will look like to those around you that you must hate your family, your upbringing, even your own life. I heard a story here not too long ago um, from one of our elders that actually went overseas this past summer and uh, went to a city where we actually have some of our own people serving, doing some long-term work there. And in that city, there's a refugee camp, and our long-term workers actually met this couple, this Iranian couple that's lived in this refugee camp for, for 10 years. Now, when you think refugee camp, take like the worst neighborhood you've ever been in and make it like 10 times worse, okay? So, uh, like I've seen the pictures of this this place, it's like broken down, Hotels, like like two-story hotels, no windows, you know, whatever. Very minimal, like, uh, accessibility, like water, electricity, things like that. There's a dirt courtyard, and then there's really tall prairie grass. Well, there was supposed to be maybe a field for kids to play in, but the mower broke, and no one's going to f- give them a different one. So, like, think refugee camp, think that. And in meeting this Iranian couple that has lived there for 10 years, the reason that they're there is because... When they accepted Christ, they were rejected by their family, but that wasn't the worst part because then they had to run for their lives because those around them in their country wanted to kill them for choosing Christ, and so they had to flee from their country for safety, taking their kids with them. They've now lived in a country, a foreign land, for 10 years, and they've sacrificed their house, their home, their comforts, even their kids' education, all that stuff, and they're they're living in this city hoping to eventually make it to Australia. That was the end goal, but they've been stuck here now for for 10 years. All of that because they chose Jesus. If I told you today that choosing to follow Jesus would mean the same thing for you, would you still put your yes on the table? Like, would you do that? I said, I don't want that to happen to anybody. <laughs> I, I don't want that for them. I don't want that for you. Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not praying that this happens. I pray that this doesn't happen. I pray that you never get in that spot where you have to pick sides, where you have to choose between your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or Jesus. Like, I, I, I pray that never happens to any of you. But the question is, if it did, If it does, if you were forced to pick one or the other, what would you do? Because the first non-negotiable reorientation that Jesus says has to take place, if you want to follow him, is you have to say yes to that. Here's the second reorientation that must take place. We're in verse 27 now. It's just this one verse. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So when he says there, yet you have to bear your own cross, what he's not saying is that you have to do something to earn your own salvation. Like, like what's required here now is you got to pick up the cross and you got to make penalty a payment for the penalty of your sin. That's not what he's saying here, okay? Like Jesus paid it all. We know that. But here's what he is saying that there is a cost to being a disciple of Christ. It's not a cost of effort. He already paid that. But it is the cost of reorientation of value. And if you're going to follow Christ, you have to bear your own cross. And what we mean is you have to take your previous selfish ambitions, the dreams that you had for life and the things that you once cared about, and you have to nail them to the cross. And follow Jesus, who will replace them with something better. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. My old self and who I was has been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Hear that. He's still living and breathing. But he, in what he was before, he's crucified himself with Christ. And no longer lives, but Christ lives. Filling him with his spirit lives in him. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we talk about following Jesus, it means following Jesus. Jesus embraced the cross. We must embrace our cross. Jesus embraced difficulty, resistance, shame, and we have to do the same. It's what it means to follow Jesus. One of the things that I say often to my seventh grade boys, I lead a Wednesday night a small group as a part of Kindle Youth with some awesome seventh grade boys. And um, one of the most common things I tell them is I say, guys, I'm just gonna be honest with you. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to get comfortable being different, which is really hard. Understand that like for like a seventh grade boy, Right, with that awkward stage going on with like your voice is crackling and you got that mustache thing going and you don't shave it yet because you don't realize you should, you know, but like you kind of think it's cool, but it's not. Like you know that stage. Like no one wants to go back to that stage of life. Sorry, they don't know that yet. That's really hard for somebody in that stage of life to embrace that, to, to be different. To walk into junior high or middle school and to to be okay, getting comfortable, being different. You know what I've discovered, though? It's also really hard for somebody in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, even empty-nester stage of life, to be okay being different. I'm telling you, if you want to follow Christ, it means being different. It means taking up your cross and following him. And that means you will be different. And I believe that that speaks into two specific avenues that I want to highlight. Following Jesus means that we follow where he leads. One of those things is that we follow him and what he commands us to do. And being obedient to what he commands. Here's what I mean. It's going to be real specific. That if you think that somebody in leadership over you is an idiot that you see God's word, you open up the scriptures and you see that God's word calls you to honor your authorities. And you go, okay, I'll do that. Or so what I feel, I'll obey you. It means that even in your life, if you are just completely out of control and what your eyes kind of gravitate to, you all of a sudden open God's word and see that you're not to be consumed by lust, you go, okay, God, I repent of that. I'm going to be honest about my struggle. I'm going to pull others in. And God, I'm asking for you to change me. I'm going to follow you in that. It means even if you don't have much margin in your life, financially or with time, but you see in God's word that caring for orphans and widows is a big deal, you go, okay, God, I'll do that. It it means that if you're like, I'm ready to follow Jesus, and you see in God's word the call to be baptized, Right? We threw that opportunity before you for next Sunday to be baptized. You go, okay, God, I'll do that. You understand this, that in the scriptures, the consistent pattern we see is that when somebody gets to the point where they go, I'm ready to follow Jesus, and they look at somebody else who is a Christian and say, what should I do? The common answer that's given every time, there's no deterrence from this, is repent and be baptized. Turn from the direction that you're going, right? Nail that life to the cross. Place your faith in Jesus. And what you do is you get baptized. That displays that you have now surrendered your life in allegiance to Jesus. And you're going to obey him no matter what. Even if it's like, man, I don't want to get wet in front of a bunch of people. That sounds awkward. But following Jesus means Obedience. So God, if that's what you call me to, I'll do it. Or even if your life is marked by being an argumentative and angry and frustrated so often you read in scriptures that our gentleness should be evident to all, you go, okay, I'll do that. I don't know, like, can I, should I just keep rattling through this? Because eventually I'm going to hit one that's going to hit a soft spot in you. But I'm actually just going to stop here and let the Spirit do a work And maybe bring to light that thing in your life that you've been protecting for a really long time rather than repenting of it. Following Jesus means obedience to whatever he calls you to. And his word is abundantly clear on so much. But another aspect though of following Jesus, and it takes obedience and it takes it just one step further, is embracing Jesus's mission. Embracing his work, I'm a farm kid. Very proud of that. One of my favorite memories as a kid—I and I, I shouldn't say one. I mean, it happened so many times. Like, like, my favorite thing to do as a kid was when I would wake up in the morning at the exact same time as my dad. You know, I'd set my alarm clock, and we'd kind of sync that up, and we'd wake up at the same time, and we'd go and we'd eat breakfast at the same time, and I was just side by side with him, and we'd go downstairs into our mudroom, and we'd put our like chore clothes on at the same time and put our boots on at the same time. and We'd go out the door at the same time and all day long, I would just labor beside him. Now, granted, he did all the heavy lifting. I did very little. And eventually he would reward me with either a Bart's beer or like a squirt. Those are my favorite as a kid. That was like the best. If I could have that in a Milky Way, it was like, this is the greatest day ever. But it really was, like, like, for me, like, just the joy of being with my dad and laboring side by side with him. And then, and then, like, not only starting the day with him, but eventually, like, when the sun would go down, going inside the house together with him and taking off our boots together and sitting at the dinner table and talking about our day that we just had together as we worked side by side. That was, for me, my favorite days as a kid. As when we talk about just the essence of the Christian life. Like this is it, like like at the core of Christianity is essentially understanding what our father is passionate about, understanding the work that our father has given himself to and joining him there, reorienting all things to join him there. And so many times I talk to people that are Christians that are sitting on the sidelines of life or pursuing their own selfish desires. They're going, you know, I just don't feel God's nearness. Like, I feel like he's just not very active in my life. I'm like, (laughs) join him on his mission field. Join him in his work, and you will be with him. You will enjoy an intimacy unlike anything before. This is the crazy thing. We know exactly what our Father is doing today. We've known ever since Matthew 16 when Jesus made it abundantly clear. You don't know what I'm talking about. In Matthew 16, Jesus is having this interaction with his disciples. He says to them, hey, guys, Who do the people say that I am? Peter goes, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one. He goes, you're correct. And on that confession, Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Every member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is actively laboring each and every moment of each and every day To build up the bride of Christ. When Jesus calls something his bride, it's a big deal. building up the bride of Christ, building up the church. And what's wild is God has actually given each of you a gift. As a believer in Christ, when he filled you with his spirit, he also gave you a supernatural gift that you could contribute to building up the church. You have a part to play. He's invited you into this work. So following Jesus means obedience, but it also means joining him in this work. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now a third reorientation that must take place. And he sets this third reorientation up with a couple of complimentary metaphors. We're gonna pick up in verse 28. He says this, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down And decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. Reorientation number three is you have to live like it all belongs to God. It doesn't matter If after this, you're going to drive your car home and park in your garage at your house, or if you're going to get on your bike and ride back to your apartment and all you can claim to own is two packets of Easy Mac. Did I just hit everybody in the spectrum there? It doesn't matter where you are. If you aren't ready to look at all of it that you claimed was once yours and say, actually, it all belongs to God, you're not ready to follow Jesus. Jesus. It's interesting, in those two metaphors, the only repeated phrase that's like identical between the two is these three words, first sit down. That you would hear the call of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And twice in those metaphors, the only phrase he repeats is that you first sit down It's interesting because it seems like in our day and age, we will do or say almost anything to get somebody to follow Jesus. Jesus does the opposite. It's like he's trying to talk them out of it. No, you don't wanna do this. I know what today is, I should say I know what this weekend is, right? It's a three-day weekend. Many of you probably have flip-flops on this morning. Right? You came in here and you were hoping to hear a message maybe on like Sabbath rest, something that fit into like the Labor Day theme. So I'm, I'm sorry that this is where we are today. I'm, I'm not, sorry and not sorry at the same time. Like for many of you are like, I didn't expect this on Labor Day. Because my goal this morning is not to come in and be like hard on you, like, like overly hard on you. Like I'm just trying to shoot straight because here's what I fear, okay? I fear that many of you have rushed into this. And say, I'm ready to follow Jesus, and you have no idea that this is a package deal. You're saying, I'm ready to follow Jesus, and I'm telling you, if that's you, if you want to follow Jesus, but you're not ready yet to place him as number one in your life, to put to death all your previous desires and let God give you new ones. And to look at everything that you once claimed was yours and now say it all belongs to God. If you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to follow Jesus yet. You need to first sit down. Think about this. Jesus is saying, this is what it means to follow me. This isn't you. Just be honest with yourself. Because Jesus has always had a bunch more fans than he had actual followers. And then to drive the point home even further, Jesus continues with his address to this crowd in verse 20, or 34 and 35, when he says, now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear, Listen. He's just essentially getting to the very end here and he's saying, hey, any form of Christianity that is diluted down to anything less than what I've just said here is worthless. And he ends it with that cry. Anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. That's been my prayer for our church that we would have ears to hear this. Not walk away and, and try to like shrink back from these words, be like, I don't know if Jesus actually meant that, but actually to hear like, this is the consistent message of Jesus and what it means to follow. I'm praying for us to be honest with ourselves. But here's how I wanna end this morning. I want to end with some encouragement because I know that there are brothers and sisters in the room that have counted the cost knowing what it means and have put their yes on the table. Like, and I know that like each of you, each day is striving and thriving, not in your own strength, but on the strength that God provides to continue to mean it, to continue to live in this way. And I want to give you some encouragement. And I also know that there are others in the room that are ready to make this step today, that are ready to put their yes on the table. Now knowing fully what it means. Please hear this. The grace of God in Jesus is a gift that you could never earn. That will cost you more than you could ever imagine. But but, what you gain is greater than anything that you lose. The grace of God in Jesus is a gift that you could never earn. That will cost you all that you have what you gain is greater than anything that you lose. I want to go back to Luke 18, the encounter that Jesus had with a rich young ruler because it, it ends with this. The rich young ruler walks away discouraged because he knows now what it means to follow Jesus. He's not ready to pay that price. And it's Peter that looks at Jesus and following that up, watching that man walk away, he looks at Jesus and says, look, we have left what we had and we followed you. And look what Jesus tells him. Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, a wife, or brothers, sisters, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and in the eternal life that is to come. Jesus is promising that it's worth it. And I want you to catch there. Because he is talking about, yes, there will be reward for this in heaven, and you will delight in that for eternity. But there is also, don't miss that, reward here and now. At this time, you will already in this life begin to experience the reward of though you are walking a difficult path and though you have had to lose some things, you will begin to experience the joy that Jesus is promising even in this life, that yes, Following Jesus may mean losing some of your earthly relationships, but what Jesus is going to do is to replace that with relationships that are far deeper, eternal, built on his name that will be way richer than anything else you've ever had. And those of you that have watched family turn your back on you and in this life embraced that and walked into a church family and have experienced the family of God becoming your family... You know that's true, as God surrounds us with brothers and sisters, those who have lost things in life going, yes, I'm turning away from previous ambitions and now giving myself to something far greater, something more worth my life, something that actually will outlive me and then be eternal. When God does that, we don't consider that loss, we consider that gain. When all of a sudden I begin to let go of the things of this life that I could never keep to gain the things that I could never lose, I'm already experiencing Jesus' promised reward. And that's not just a future thing, it is also even now. And so, my brothers and sisters, if you have counted the cost and you're walking with me in this, do not lose heart. But instead, what I want to encourage you to do is Hebrews 12 that this morning what we would do is we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, embraced its shame, and then eventually took a seat of victory as he sat down by the right hand of the Father, knowing it was finished, his work was finished. My brothers and sisters, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, And promise reward and the joy set before us as motivation. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him and do the same. Jesus promises it's worth it. And so do I. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being enough for us. So easy to focus on the costs and not delight in what is gained. For me, it was losing all of the things that I thought would make me happy, but were honestly the things I was most ashamed of, the things that had only brought me disappointment and shame and replacing that with things that weren't shameful. It was filling myself with your purity, with your goodness, with your way of life that was bringing me about a greater joy not only in just the way that I was living and the things I was giving myself to, but just being able to walk with you and walk in the joy and the intimacy of relationship with you, knowing that my sins have been forgiven, knowing that I'm walking through life like I've got star power in the Mario game, because I know that for me now, there is no death. There is no sting. There is no end. There is no sad storybook ending. There is only joy, only delight, only fullness, Only pleasure, only gain, only reward. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who have counted the cost and put their yes on the table that you would strengthen them today to continue to live without compromise, continuing to follow you no matter what the cost, knowing what we gain is far greater in you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.